Amjad Massad is the CEO and founder of Replit, an online programming environment that makes coding more fun and approachable. On Replit, you can build and host apps without leaving the IDE. Think of it as Google Docs for coding. Before that, he was a tech lead on the JavaScript infrastructure team, which he helped start at Facebook. Before still, he was the first employee at Codecademy. He did some tech leading and built product and infrastructure. Earlier, he was briefly at Yahoo. And before that, he was going to college, and on the side, he worked in cybersecurity. He's into powerlifting and grilling steaks. He also likes to read and is mostly interested in philosophy and artificial general intelligence. He's of the opinion that good Hollywood movies are on the decline. Today, we talked about when startups become corporations, the future of open source, and doing what makes the best story. I think a good place to start off would be where things started for you, because you grew up, what, in Jordan, right? Yeah. Some parts of it were, were challenging, and, and some parts of it were, were really interesting and, and uh, unique and gave me a, a special perspective. I think the, you know, the, the conditions for my family were quite interesting. Broadly speaking, my father's family is a little bit, you know, they, they're well off mostly, you know, they're mostly engineers and doctors. And, and my father is actually is the youngest of, of that family. So he, he's the one that, you know, a lot of his brothers and sisters has accumulated wealth by going to, to the Gulf and working in Saudi Arabia and these places. And so he, he, he was the, he was kind of the struggling, you know, young guy in, in that family. But on my mom's side, they, they were re- like, a lot of them were really poor, not all of them, but a lot of them were really poor. Both sides were immigrants, refugees, they ended up in Jordan. My mom and dad met in Jordan. And so growing up, we had this duality where one side of the family were better off and the other side were, were kind of poor. We were, we were on the, on the poorer side, I would say, starting out, but my father was, you know, such a hard worker. He had two jobs and, uh, you know, he would work in like nine to five and then come home for an hour and then go to his own business that he started with his brothers and work another shift essentially come back at midnight and then sleep and then repeat the whole thing again. And then he, he worked on one day of the weekend as well on the business. And so we just watched him improve his and our financial situation over the years. And so that was like a great lesson in, in sort of hard work. And for us, I think it was really good to be able to have a foot in each sort of socioeconomic status. And so you sort of understood what it's like to, to, to struggle and, and be poor and work multiple jobs uh, just to get by. And we also were able to kind of socialize with people who were better off and had expensive hobbies and expensive toys and, and, uh, and computers and access to, to technologies and things like that. And my father was very interested in technology, so he, he, he spent you know a lot of money to to be able to acquire a computer really early on. So I think it was 1993 was, I was six years old and that was like my, my introduction to, to computers. And my father got a computer home. I think it was IBM with a, with a Microsoft DOS on it. And uh, he would, he would spend uh, the night kind of learning like how to code a little bit and how to like run the computer. And I would just look over his shoulder and just learn. And then when he steps away, I'll go and, 
and just like uh, flex my my muscle what I learned <laughs> and eventually they they saw me do that and they were very impressed and very supportive of that and so I continued using the the, the computer and so that was that was really early on in my life and had a had a had a great impact on me and so I think yeah so I think there were many many lessons many unique insights and opportunities so I I definitely cherish that. So, so yeah, that, there was like very uh, unique aspects of it that I think that I think brought enough determination and and drive to to, to just keep going and like never quit and in and you sort of have this idea of was like okay you know started from you know started from you know somewhere where it's really hard gone this far might as well just like you know keep going see how far we can take it and so. Just you know, this this kind of mindset is, is is very unique. Definitely, and I mean, it sounds like you came from sort of a long line of talented engineers, but it took you a lot of places. So you were at Code Academy for a while. I studied computer science, so that's been an immensely helpful tool for me. Not to mention Replit, which we'll get into in a bit. Mm. But also, you were a software engineer at Facebook. How for you know anybody? that might be listening that's interested in just sort of the differences between engineering roles at a startup versus somewhere like Facebook, how did those sort of compare and contrast for you? How are those experiences different? Yeah. I mean, Facebook, when I joined it, it was, it was interesting because Facebook, even after the IPO, they kind of, for a couple of years, they maintained that startup uh, pace, which was, you know, which is super interesting. Like, I don't think companies these days are able to do that. So when I joined 2013, I, I got to experience the kind of move fast, break things aspect of it. And that was at least for two years. Like I think 2015 was a bit of a turning point, especially around the, the Trump campaign where, where the company, I think there's a couple of holy shit moments at Facebook, maybe irrelevant to this conversation, but the Arab Spring and the, the Trump campaign where it was like, Oh my God! Like Facebook is such a powerful tool and can 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 do can do amazing positive things, but also destructive things. And and so I got to experience that. But then I would say around 2015, 16, which is kind of why I left, is you know the legal privacy stuff, compliance stuff became you know overburdening. It was hard to to kind of just hack on stuff. The management bureaucracy started showing. It started resembling Google in a lot of ways. And I think today it's practically the same. Like I think Facebook and Google are practically the same. And and you know, that's 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 to be expected. In terms of uh, startups, yeah, Code Academy was it was definitely the the kind of crazy, crazy pace you'd expect from startup. And again, actually like early last decade, startups used to be a lot more intense than 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 today, especially today because you know, I, th- I think there's more level-headedness around uh, startups. Not every startup, like you, you still see, you still see the craziness in crypto. But after Uber kind of blew up and Zenefits and like I don't know, a couple of these stories, the, there's 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 a lot more scrutiny from from like media and from you know just larger tech community and like. Um, and I and some of it is good, but I would say like our my experience at Code Academy was 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 at the height of the intensities of, of startups of like you know work hard play hard type thing, and it was it was an amazing thing. But 
I think I, I think we, we we pushed it really hard. We were like you know really great hackers and 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 did all that stuff. But I think you know right now Code Academy is is like a profitable business and growing really fast. And I think it took them it took them a while and they had to change their ways in order to to get to to where they are today. But it was it was an amazing experience. You know, a lot of hard work, a lot of learned a lot about how to how to recruit, how to lead, how to scale. And it's such a compressed period of time as well. And and again, there was a lot of growing pains, a lot of drama, a lot of intensity, a lot of highs and lows and all of that stuff. Facebook was was a lot more stable experience. But, uh, you know, it was a different experience because, you know, when I worked on React Native, it was like this open source project that, that ended up kind of changing the world as well. Like the, you know, now you have really big apps like Discord, Shopify apps and all these apps written in React Native. And so it was it was different breed of experience of creating infrastructure and open source and tools and libraries for developers and open sourcing that and seeing the feedback from the community and, and just like learning how to build a tool and, and scale it and get adoption and get mindshare and all that stuff. So that was that was super interesting as well. And then and then, you know, Replit is different from both those experiences. But I, I mean, I'm sure those definitely had a lot of impact in, in what Replit or creating Replit and sort of what it's turned into. I mean, I I think I remember first hearing about Replit like just a couple years ago uh, when I started taking computer science courses and talking with friends about, you know, any of the, the projects we had to be working on and someone brought up, oh, you should go to Replit, like it's this really cool thing. I think he described it as like Google Docs for coding or something. But but obviously it's, it's you know, at, at maybe a surface level, someone might just see it and think, oh, it's just like an IDE. Uh, I can just code in it, whatever. But you look at a lot of the stuff that it's capable of, especially things that you guys have been doing more recently, and it's quite a bit deeper than that. So I'm curious, how do you describe it to people when they first ask? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I think we haven't really figured out how to describe it very well yet. I, I, we need to we need to figure it out. But uh, but I mean, look, it's like it's like Amazon was was selling everything, and it was still like the homepage was still saying like you know, uh, bookstore, right? Everyone thought it was still a bookstore. Well into well into it's like you know taking over entirety of e-commerce market. But so so it's you know I think Google Docs for Goat is is is. Uh, perfectly okay kind of way to, to pitch it. And I think that's that's what most people come to Replit to, to experience. Just a quick instant environment to start coding portable anywhere and you can code with with other people. The people that go deeper into the site, they discover social network aspect of it. They discover way to host and ship applications and demos and things like that really quickly. And uh, they discover a community of very engaged, very talented, very driven, mostly young developers that are learning to build and building to learn and sharing everything they're doing. And, and that's, that's become more and more, you know, interesting aspect of, of the site. So part of it is, is educational, you know, for the kind of use cases that you mentioned, you know, college students use it, high school students, teachers use it for that. Then part of it is, is for building. And I think is the easiest way to spin up a small application right now, just like you can just import flask or express and just write a server we have a database we have an auth service and you can spin up a small app 
in like 30 minutes and uh, and that's i don't think that's ever been done before and, and so we're seeing a lot of entrepreneurs now using it to to start businesses and and so you, you know it's becoming a place where you write your first line of code and you go all the way up to your first app and in some cases to your first business or first startup or first at least prototype of your startup and so that's that's the aspect where we're really excited about and then there's a, a lot of things about the infrastructure that's quite unique to to Replit and we're still discovering what they mean so the the network aspect of it is is quite interesting not only the social network in terms of people coding together forking each other application commenting reacting running all of that stuff but also the network of 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 code you know if you think about it, github github is very interesting in that it's a network of people, but it's also a network of code. Although it's static code, Replit is um, live code, and that brings a new kind of breed of collaborating of software. And so we're seeing a lot of interesting way, new ways of collaborating where people are publishing certain apps and libraries and APIs and other people hooking into them and, and, and writing their own apps. And so you start getting a network of live code you know, Alan Kay is, a, is this famous computer scientist, and he actually invent, invented object-oriented programming. The object-oriented programming that we know today is, you know, what's you know what's famous with Java and other uh, systems like that. And he he thinks it's not really uh, a materialization of his actual vision. The way he described object-oriented programming is more like a biological system or a network of, of objects or network of machines. So, so I think this is the, the the interesting part of like how Replit could unlock a new wave collaborating of software, just having this network of people and live code and applications that could hook and reference each other. What do you think that looks like at a macro scale? Because I, I think, you know, I think generally software development and coding and all of this stuff is is much more inherently collaborative than people realize. So it's interesting that you point out like the community aspect and the social aspect that you know you you really like seeing in in Replit. I'm curious what you think the future of open source looks like more broadly and maybe how Replit sort of fits into that narrative. Yeah. So what I what I get really excited about when I think about you know, open source and more broadly just collaboration and software is a way for people to be able to more easily build on each other's work and also benefit economically from that. You know, right now, you know, what's dubbed as the open source sustainability problem, right? People are talking about funding. You know, we have you know, for example, like libraries that are core parts of the infrastructure of the internet that are barely maintained. You know, there was the Heartbleed bug and the, I think, open SSL library. And like when people looked into it, it was like a one guy side project and uh, all the <laughs> internet, it, it, you know, powers the internet backbone. So th there's something, there's something about open source that's, that's, that's broken, you know, although it's been an amazing phenomenon, will continue to be an amazing phenomenon. But what I'm, what I'm really excited about is, is there a way to, for people to be able to, you know, make software and, and easily um, 
capture some of the economic value that they're providing to the world. Yeah, you know, I, I don't exactly know what, it, what it's going to look like, but that's definitely something we're, we're looking into at Replit. And it kind of goes back to my point about this network of, of people and in machines and life code. Like, is there a way for people to easily monetize their, their creation? And, uh, you know, if you think about it, the, you know, one of the things is, you know, any hacker experiences is you get into programming. I was like, wow, this is super fun, super intellectual, stimulating. You get into it, you, you get addicted. And then when you make your first buck from it is also a freaking damn great, amazing, like feeling. You're totally. like, wow, not only is this fun, but I can actually make money. And so it just fits it, this is another thing that fits into the into the Replit story is that I write my first line of code, I learn how to code, I write my first app, and maybe I monetize my app as well. Definitely. So maybe just a more practical sort of question. I don't think there's anybody that would be cooler to hear this from than you, to be honest. And that's just how you would give advice to people who are trying to learn how to code. I know you told the story of you sort of looking over your dad's shoulder on the computer. I talked to uh, Troy Osinoff like not too long ago, and he always tells the story of him having having his dad drive him to the library so he could like copy down JavaScript code and then put it into his computer when he got back home. But obviously things have changed. So I'm curious, how would you really go about advising someone who's looking to get into something like this? So, yeah, I, th I think with programming, just, uh, you know, the, the idea behind Code Academy was, was a really sound idea, which, which led to its success is that learn by, by doing, learn by, by writing. You know, it, it kind of like, you know, mathematics, you can, you can read maths all day, but you just got to sit down and do problems to be able to, to grok it. And, you know, same with, with physics and really any science and technology subject coding is more extreme than that i would say it's it's one of those things where where the best way to learn it is to to sit down and do it my favorite way to recommend these days is to you know free code camp and other youtube channels have these like five hour three hour like coding tutorials so open up Replit and go to one of those like multiple hour uh, YouTube tutorials. Some of them already use Replit for Python or something like that. And just go through the whole thing. And I promise you that if you just sat down concentrated for maybe you do it over multiple days, but for like 10 hours, you're going to be able to understand and write very basic programs. And, uh, and then let your curiosity sort of guide you. So then, then maybe you go and do the rest of Free Code Camp or you do Code Academy or you do Udemy or you buy a course here and there or you find a free course online and you follow the, the whole thing. The most important aspect is like to get into it, to get inspired by it. And then once you get, once you get the like coding bug uh, in a way, you're just going to be driven by curiosity and it's going to be super easy for you to just like continue learning. And then the first thing people get stuck on is like, okay, I've learned a fair amount. Like I want to build something. Right. And then, you know, what are the ideas of things uh, that I can build? And you know, sometimes they start thinking about like really sophisticated things that they want to build immediately. I want to build a 3d game. I want to build 
uh, something like that. And I think, you know, make sure to make sure to to pace yourself. And so the first program that you that you want to write, maybe a, a very simple utility program for you. Right. Automate something simple, maybe a simple program you send to a friend, right? Maybe tic-tac-toe, maybe like whatever it is, just like small projects and there are a ton of ideas uh, online. We made this programming environment for game uh, creation called uh, Kaboom. And Kaboom is really made for that sort of first project I want to make. It's in JavaScript and super easy to learn. And uh, and then, you know, you make your first project and and you share that and maybe you share, you publish on a Replit apps or something like that. And that's going to be super fun, rewarding, gratifying because you just learn how to code maybe a few days to a week or two weeks and you made something and that, that you could share and show other people. And again, that's that's going to be motivating. I think where people lose, where people lose hope or lose motivation is when they take on, take on like, advanced books or or advanced projects and they don't really pace themselves i think that the name of the game is to have mini milestones so that you ha- you continue having the motivation and drive uh, to keep learning absolutely so to, to wrap us up i know you're a busy guy you have some really really interesting writing on your website i've read a few of them really cool stuff but there's a few that stand out to me that i'd love to just get your input on your thoughts on one is do what makes the best story, which sort of seems to be this framework for like regret minimization, if anything else, is that something that you live your life by? Would you say? Yeah. I I mean, I think I had to add a warning because it was like, it was like usually misinterpreted, especially on Hacker News, which I think everything is misinterpreted on Hacker News. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They're just, yeah, there, but you, I, I think it's, yeah, it's, there's something about life and and the, and the universe that rewards interestingness. Like if you look at history, if you look at what's happening, typically, typically, probabilistically, I would say the most interesting thing it tends to happen, or like or like interestingness, like let's say. It's, you know, an event has equal probability and there's no other, you, know, you don't have any other information about what could transpire, but one of them has a more interesting story to it, meaning more interesting to a human observer. I would say that's 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 going to be slightly more probable to happen. And I don't know the reason why. And by the way, Elon has been talking a lot about this and that's why he's investing in Doge. It's like, you know, he talks about like, you know, how the most amusing outcome happens. And I'd actually wrote this before he started talking about it. But it's, it's sort of the same thing. You start noticing that there's something about a lot. And, and I talk about it in the story is that the more interesting you are, the more uh people you attract, the more status you attract, the more friends you attract, the, you know, financing you attract, the, the, all of that stuff. And people like to talk about interesting stories. And, and so there, there's something about optimizing in some capacity for interestingness. Don't make it contrived, right? Don't contrive, don't contrive things and don't do stunts and all of that stuff. But, but if you're faced with a choice, and one of them is more interesting to you or to an observer, I would say go with that. And like, you don't have any other reason, even if it's a little bit riskier, I would go with a more, uh, more interesting story. Definitely. 
I, I appreciate you putting up with the little dropouts that we had, but it was really a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having awesome. me. Of course.